We're going to look in the book of Matthew. And in two cases, it's going to be verse 19. So Matthew 4, verse 19, and also Matthew 28, verse 19. Matthew 4, verse 19 says, And he said unto them, so Jesus is talking to the disciples, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So the goal is that the Lord transform us and change us, and he will, tra- he will make us. He will, if we will be willing to be disciples, we will change, and he will make us fishers of men. Matthew 28, verse 19 is really not just for missionaries. It's for all of us. It's for every single one of us. It says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. That's what we're doing presently. We were in Scotland teaching. We're teaching now in three Bible schools as well as involved in church plants and small churches. Go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name singular of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. We know Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, it's not a proper name. That's simply a noun. We know what the proper name is. That's Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. In the name. So we're to go, we're to teach, and with teaching, of course, comes training, and we are to baptize them in the name of Jesus. Philippians 3, verse 14 says, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So there's a metaphor here. I press toward the mark. Now, for years, it's just the way my brain works. I thought if I press toward the mark, I thought, well, if there's a mark, I'm thinking maybe it's like a bullseye, and so therefore they're, sh- they're shooting. And so maybe back then, of course, it wouldn't be firearms. It would have to be archery. So I'm thinking in my mind maybe they're shooting for a bullseye. But man, was I wrong. But we're going to see what does that metaphor mean. Lord Jesus, thank you for your family. Thank you for the children of God. Thank you for the privilege we have to share your word with them, for your presence that we feel. Lord, I pray in these next few moments, speak to our lives and our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. So Jesus gives all of us an invitation. Every one of us is that we are invited to follow him. And through that process, of course, that we respond to God, we, yes, we need to uh, respond to God. There's one paraphrase in English that talks about Colossians 2.13. When you are stuck in your old sin-dead life, you are incapable of responding to God. But thank the Lord we can come here and we can respond to God because he has changed us. We were not capable back then, but the Scripture says God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it, all sins forgiven. In this paraphrase translation of 2.14, it says, The slate has been wiped clean. It's like a whiteboard. We had all of those, those uh, marks on our lives, but our slate has been wiped clean. The old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. Hallelujah. So, <clears throat> eternity, eternal life is a reality. It's not an illusion. It is a reality. But while we're here, we are called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. What does Webster, how does he define in his dictionary what a disciple is? Of course, we understand as a noun, a disciple means to be a learner, to be a scholar, 
to be a follower, to be an adherent to the doctrines of another. So these men were adherents to the doctrines of Jesus Christ. That's why they were called Christ's disciples. And so we know it's as a noun, but even in our language, it has morphed that we've turned it also into a verb. And so we talk about discipling someone. We've created that word. And so discipling, of course, the context is to teach, it is to train, it is to bring up. And so that is what we're doing. Why do we teach or preach this? Because how do you reach a nation of, of 11 and a half million people in, the, in Belgium and also where we're in the Netherlands? I think that is 17 and a half million people. And they actually have less churches than there is in Belgium. And so we're involved in both. What can you do for new... But it takes more than a desire. There must be training. They have to be able to preach something. They have to be able to teach something. They have to know the content of the scripture. There, there needs to be training. And so the goal is church plants and we need so many more church plants so we're involved in training young men young women middle-aged men middle-aged women that they're involved in the kingdom of God Jesus he employed he talked about sending of missionaries but in a sense it's not just overseas pastor you had it calculated down to the mile how far away it is at least over a quarter of the way around the globe and so we are to go but in reality the great commission is not just carried out in other countries in the contemporary english it says it this way go to the people of all nations so the emphasis is not the nation the emphasis of course are the people So that cultural background, go to the people of all nations and make them my disciples. And so if you look in the Greek language, the language of the New Testament, the word is ethne. And from that word ethne in English is where we get the word ethnic. We get the word ethnicity. And so it is basically the command is to all of us is that we are to go to someone outside of our comfort zone in our own cultural background. Maybe you know someone you work with has a different culture. They come from a different nation. Maybe they speak a different language. But the scripture says every ethnic people, we are to go to every ethnicity. And that doesn't just have to be that you have a call to move halfway around the world. It can be where you go to work. It can be where you go to college, university, where you go to school. God has called all of us. So sometimes we can think like the original disciples of Jesus, and they simply were looking for a local hero. It seems like more and more in our culture, we hear this crazy stuff about, you know, if you could have a superpower, what superpower is that? Like so much comic book theory that we think is so important in our culture. But in reality, the Jews were looking for their own local hero. They, the Messiah for Israel, someone who would follow their customs, someone who would confirm their particular prejudices. And so they were shocked to find out that when Jesus was training and teaching and as he was uh, pushing them or encouraging them to go forward into his kingdom to realize that God's plan was not just for Israel. God had a global vision as far as a vision and a plan. It was a not just a Jewish cultural vision. It was a cross-cultural vision that Jesus was presenting them. They were realizing he was not just the king of the Jews, but also he came to be the savior of this world. Hallelujah.
And the problem was they had a hard time understanding this. And sometimes the kingdom of God, he asks us to do things, and we don't always understand, but, under, but I want to tell you this. What's the, what's the nature of this message is to take a risk. They had to take some risks to realize culturally they thought it was only for the Jewish perspective, for, for their needs, but they saw that God had a global vision. But in this 21st century, we too can have our preconceived ideas, but we must be willing, if we're going to please Jesus, we have to at times be willing to take some risks in our lives. They were having a hard time believing that Jesus was interested in anyone but them because they certainly were not interested in anyone but themselves. But Jesus talks to these disciples around the Sea of Galilee, and he says, your commission is to go and make disciples. And they did. They made Jewish disciples. And they are going to have a profound cultural shock that after when the Holy Ghost starts falling and new groups are added to the fellowship. For example, Acts chapter 6 said there was Hellenistic Jews. What does that mean? It means after the diaspora or diaspora, however you want to call it, because the Jews were, were sent all throughout the known language, or the known world because of the Babylonian captivity, is that there were Jews who were Jewish of religion and descent by blood, but they lived in a different nation. They spoke a different language. And they would come to Jerusalem once, twice, or three times a year during the high holy days, the the festivals, to worship. But they were not people who spoke the Aramaic language. Aramaic language was the street language of Jesus and the disciples. Only the scholars of the scholars even understood or could read and speak Hebrew like Paul was. But the common language of the people was Aramaic. But these people couldn't speak Aramaic. They they spoke the Greek language, and that's why they were called Hellenistic Jews. Hellenism, the influence of Alexander the Great thereafter as he forced culture, the Greek uh, culture, language, we call that the Hellenistic influence. So they were Jews of blood, but they spoke a different language. But God's goal is for us to reach every ethnic group, every language. And what we have to do now at age 60 because of a visa restriction, I'm, I turned 60 in August, and I have to learn Dutch. In two years, at an intermediate level, or they say, you, you, you do not qualify with your visa, you're out of here again. So pray that God gives us uh, wisdom. We're learning French as far as an advanced level, but now we've got to start with Dutch. But God can help us. But the goal is to reach people who speak different languages, who have different cultural backgrounds. Acts chapter 8, we see the Holy Ghost starting to move amongst the Samaritan disciples. Acts chapter 10, the Gentile disciples of all types. And so this process, this obedience that we see that God is working through his church, if they are simply saying, God, I want to be that vessel, I want to be that instrument. And it's to fulfill Christ's purposes here on earth. What he's doing globally. What he's doing locally. We all can be recipients of this quality of life that he promises. Let me tell you this. If you don't give it all to Jesus, you're not going to find the life that you've been seeking for. Yes, you're going to be able to pay the bills. And yes, you can have food. And yes, you'll have a car probably or, or, or something, a four-wheeler. You'll get around. You'll have a bicycle like in Netherlands, something. 
But that's not life. That just, that's just getting by. That's just extending another day. But Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. And let me tell you, you will not find that fulfilled life. For the visitors that are visiting here, why do you sense God's presence right now? It's because there's more to life than just making a living. If we will become disciples of Jesus Christ, if we will pray, his kingdom come, his will be done. Not my will, but his will be accomplished in our lives. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. And yes, there's high highs, and there's low lows, but guess what? There's fulfillment. What you're looking for, you will not find just by being converted. There needs to be becoming disciples. It needs to be coming that says, Lord, here am I. Use me. Use my life. The word itself, a disciple, the Jewish context, literally the meaning means for the Jews, someone who was a disciple, contextually it says that anyone who follows a rabbi, they must eat the dust of the rabbi. What's that mean? They didn't have classrooms like desks and chairs and PowerPoint and and all this stuff. They didn't have any of that. So as the rabbi who was traveling from place to place, maybe that day they had had to walk 20 miles. So all they can do all day long is simply walk. But the rabbi had time to teach the disciples. So in order to be to have the learning, they had to be close to hear the rabbi. And to be close to hear the rabbi, you can't be a quarter of a mile back and say, "I'll, I'll, I'll meet up with you later. You have to be close to hear his voice as he's teaching. So literally as the rabbi would walk, he would stir up the dust from his steps. And the disciples that were following were so close that they literally ate the dust of the rabbi. That's what it is. When we want to please Jesus Christ, we need to walk in relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we read his word. That's why we pray. That's why we worship. That's why we are sensitive to the spirit because we must walk in relationship. It's not just showing up for an event. It's being part of the process saying, Lord, I want to be a disciple. Hallelujah. This process and I have some things here, uh, what equipping's all about. I like the acronym in English, E-Q-U-I-P, encouraging qualities underdeveloped in people. We get people and they're underdeveloped, but as we see, as we see qualities, if we encourage those underdeveloped, E-Q-U-I-P, encouraging qualities underdeveloped in people, equipping them, being involved. We make, we make mistakes, yes. We give lots of excuses. Uh, Luke chapter 14, I'm not going to preach on it, but it's there in the reference. People gave lots of excuses. We all have our own excuses why we can't do something great for Jesus. But Jesus is saying to us that you will not find this life unless you become a disciple of him and trust him hallelujah and so the empowerment of the holy ghost that as he transforms us as he changes our inward feelings he changes our thoughts he changes our character he cleans the inside of the cup all those things is that we see that there's a spiritual formation that's in process Kudos to you. That's why you're here for Bible study on a Wednesday, on a on a Tuesday night. Excuse me. Is that you know that it's more than just showing up once in a while. It's about having relationship. It's about knowing His voice. It's about hearing the voice of a shepherd as He teaches and preaches to the flock. Hallelujah. Now the aim for all of us is to be transformed by Jesus through constant companionship. We can't be disciples unless we're eating the dust of Rabbi Jesus. And so Philippians 3.13, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
in any translation it exists in French. I've got some Bibles in French. I know I've asked people in Dutch is the same thing or Flemish. And in English, definitely know that. There's so many. So in any translation, basically you take the, the original text that we don't have any original copies, so we have copies of copies. And scholars sometimes have spent their whole lifetime figuring out what the text is and figuring out which one is the most accurate. But from that, they translate from that text. And so there's a word-for-word translation. Some examples, King James, New King James, New Revised Standard uh, Version is another one. They're word-for-word uh, translations. And so what, and then there's one over here called the dynamic translation where they take two or three words, not even a full sentence, just part of a sentence, and they translate that thought. That's called dynamic equivalent. An example in English, New Living Translation is one. There's many more. And so we do that every time we have church and, and the translator translates from French to, to Dutch or, or French to English or Dutch to whatever, then they are translating two or three words. It's a phrase. It's common in any foreign field when there's translation going on. It's not verbatim word for word because it doesn't work always that way. Take the idiomatic expression in English. For anyone overseas, when you say my face is breaking out, everyone here knows you're talking about acne. But literally, if you translate my face is breaking out, they think maybe you had a car accident and you have major lacerations on your face and it's peeled back and they see the bone structure because to them, my face is breaking out. Do you see how easy that is? If we And so there is this this process. Now, all the way over here in English as well as other languages is what we call a paraphrase. We have two teenage daughters. We had, they're now grown up and married, and we have three grandkids. But when they were two, our teenagers, they weren't reading their Bible, and it bothered me. They grew up in the church. They knew the stories. They knew probably sometimes what the preacher is even going to preach. And so they stopped reading their Bibles. And so I bought them a paraphrase in English. It's called The Message. And they started reading the Bible again because they knew it, but because it reads like a novel. So there was a purpose. Even for teenagers that should be reading their Bible, they weren't. It had a purpose because then the stories had a different flair, and they, they read the narrative. No, I would never, ever, ever teach doctrine from a paraphrase, ever. But for teenagers, adolescents who won't read the Scripture, it worked. And so we understand the purpose for each translation. If I'm teaching doctrine, of course, I'll use word for word. But I'm, I explained that because I want to give you the text in, fi- in finishing. I want to give you a text from, from a paraphrase. It's the message. So it's not word for word. It's not dynamic equivalent, but it's way over here. It's a paraphrase. When my father-in-law calls my wife, they talk, and then I ask, what did he say? She doesn't cite. She doesn't verbatim quote what he said. She gives a summary of what he says, and so that's what a paraphrase is. Let me read to you Philippians 3, verse 13. Of course, we read it. I pressed toward the mark. But verse 14 in a paraphrase says this, and this is Paul speaking to us in a paraphrase. I am off, and I'm running and I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal. Remember, the Scripture says that we press toward the mark. Let's stay focused on that goal, those of us who want everything God has for us. Let me ask you, do you want everything God has planned for your life? 
God has a plan for your life. Do you want everything? Or are you happy with 50%? Are you happy with 71%? Do you want everything that God has for you? The scripture says, if, if any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision and you will see it yet. Verse 16, now that we are on the right track, Paul says, let's stay on it. You got to get on the right track. What's that? That's you must repent of your sins. You must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues. That's how we get on the right track. But Paul says, now stay on the right track. And the next sentence just jumped off the page when I read it. It says, the world wants to stay on easy street. That sums up the goal of the enemy of our souls. The enemy of our souls, the devil wants us just to live on easy street. Our flesh itself wants us to live on easy street. But if we're going to please Jesus somewhere, we must be willing to take a risk in our lives. To get off easy street and say, Lord, here am I. I have a purpose. There's a higher purpose in my life. The Bible says in Mark chapter 5, there was a lady that she was hemorrhaging. She had a chronic disease. She had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. And little by little, her body, she was dying slowly. But after 12 years, she reached out in Jesus. She touched the hem of his garment. And so for 12 years, she was dying, but now she's alive. Hallelujah. Praise God. We who are dead now are alive. We have a healer in the house. If you have something that you need, Jesus is the answer for whatever need there is. But Mark chapter 5 and verse 35. So the context is, is in Mark 5, 21 to 24. It says that uh, there was a man named Jairus. And Jairus, he was uh, a leader of the worship area, a synagogue. But yet there was a need. He had people who were Jews. He was taking a risk because Jairus, he was coming to Jesus He was a respected leader. Personal crisis can do that. Sometimes, a lot of times, how do we come to the Lord is when there's a crisis in our marriage or in our family, in our home. But this crisis causes him to break with his peers and his cultural traditions in order to seek help because Jairus risked his job as a ruler in the synagogue by turning to Jesus because he was going to be judged by the other Jews. He had a career. And that was his career. But he says, my daughter's life is more important to me than my job. And so no doubt the members of the synagogue are going to criticize him severely and because he's going to Jesus. And Jesus also arrives at his house and takes his daughter's hand. And so Jesus, he takes a risk. Jairus takes a risk and risks his career. Jesus risks his reputation because when he takes her, she's no longer alive, but now she's dead. And he touches her by the hand. He raises her back to life. But he touches a dead corpse. And so as a Jew, he automatically is ceremonially unclean for one whole week because he touched a dead body. Furthermore, a Jewish man would never touch a woman, especially a rabbi would never touch a woman. But Jesus, he didn't care about his reputation. He had something to do. 
the Jewish man, Jairus, didn't care about his career because there was something to do. And so it does not matter. Jairus risks a secure, prestigious job because his love for his daughter is more important. Jesus risked his reputation as a teacher in order to bring his daughter back to life. It's quite neat to see for 12 years a woman who's dying, who's now that has been brought back to life. And yet there's a 12-year-old who was alive but now is dead but brought back to life again. And so the contrast, no matter what the need, different situation, but it's all tied together. No matter what the contrast is here in your life, Jesus is the answer. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, he is that answer. So what's my conclusion? My conclusion is we must be willing to take a risk. Because as the scripture says, my flesh wants to live on easy street. The devil wants me to live on easy street. But there comes a point where you say, okay, I've got to get off easy street. We were meant to be inhabited by God and to live by a power beyond ourselves. Because human problems can never be answered by human means. So what does Paul says? There's one answer. It's not archery and shooting toward a bullseye, but I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In that era, everyone knew about the Olympic Games, even back then. In fact, even the church in Corinth in that area, there was called the Isthmian Games. There was competitive games. This is actually a running term, racing term, foot, foot course. So I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. Every, every running course, there's always some line. Maybe it was a white line back then, but maybe it was a rope. But our day, it's a white line. Do you ever notice someone who's running a race and they're getting close? And if they've got people so close to them, only one person wins. So what do they do? They make this awkward stance and they, they do this as they cross the finish line. Why do they risk falling? Well, they realize that even if they fall, as long as they cross the line first. Do you ever notice they don't, they don't stick their hand out and do this because that's not what qualifies them. They don't go and run and stick their foot out like this and cross the line. They, they do this because the rule says the torso has to cross the line first. Not the hand, not the foot, but the torso. And so they press, they stretch. And if we're going to please Jesus, Paul says that Sometimes we've got to do some stretching in our lives. If you want the quality of life you've been searching, you will not find it unless you stretch for Jesus and say, Lord, I'm going to stretch. I now have a goal. I now have a purpose. It's a metaphor, running, leaning forward, stretching for the high calling. It's noble in its effort. It demands the highest efforts, but it's worth the blood, sweat, and tears. And then sometimes, as we said, even blood itself. Blood, sweat, tears. Yes, there's a possibility of falling, but the great thing is it's winner takes all. One day we're going to hear, well done, good, faithful servant. Hallelujah. Pastor, can I take three more minutes? Just a personal thing. When I was getting ready to go to Bible school as a student, not later, I would be vice president and then running the school decades later. But as a student, it's where I met my wife. I was a 17-year-old graduating from high school, working summer. I needed to raise tuition, room and board for Bible school. Had no means other than work hard. 
I get up at 4.30 in the morning, jump on the motorcycle, drive to the place, jump on a bus, go out in the woods. I planted trees, seedlings. On a good day, I could plant anywhere from 1,300 to 1,400 trees a day. It was back-breaking. I was in shape, but I'm still in shape today because round is a shape, so... I was in shape back then. Also, because I needed that, there was an opportunity to mow a couple of cemeteries. I didn't have the equipment. Dad just had a push mower. He didn't have a weed eater. All he had was the old shears. Imagine you having hundreds of tombstones and you got to go. I felt my back at the end of the day. Later on, even my grandparents would come out and they felt sorry and they they brought their riding mower and they'd help along. So so they, they did it sooner but the goal was just to get to bible school we sensed that god was doing something didn't know but yet from that day i said it's not about kevin wallace it's about the kingdom and so from that summer onward i committed and it's never stopped that part of it a small portion would go to what we call then home missions and global missions unbeknownst to me that later on I wouldn't even know that six years later we would be home missionaries in the capital city of the province of Quebec learning the French language as home missionaries didn't know that but God knew that but I didn't didn't know that the same thing giving to global missions decades later we would be we would be over 2,000 whatever it was 2,600 how many miles away and be global missionaries but the power of little things the other day I had to get blood work done. It was fasting glucose. So we couldn't eat. When I was done, I saw a Chick-fil-A driving home. I went in and got a breakfast biscuit. It was so good. They don't exist in Europe. $6.24 uh, for the combo. My wife goes by Starbucks and her radar goes off because she likes the taste of syrup more than coffee. So she gets those specialty drinks. That can be $5 easy for a drink. And you know, for mo- most of us, we'll go through and get a breakfast biscuit or get a coffee, and we don't even think about it. Never even crosses our mind. But do you realize if I just was willing to budget one less coffee every two weeks, if I was willing to budget one less breakfast sandwich just once every two weeks, that could be $10 here or $15 there or $5 there. But how quick it adds up when we all together say, if we're willing to even take a little risk in our lives. Thank you for helping with, with the sales. The sales get us down to the next preaching engagement. But what gets us on the field is nothing but a partner and mission. But if you're interested in helping our ministry and we're willing to take a risk, maybe you might say, I've got to budget one less coffee. I've got to budget one less one less biscuit, but there's something I can do. But if you feel that way, please never come to us. Only come to your pastor because your pastor will have to determine whether that's even something they would want to do as far as a partner in mission. But what am I saying? No matter what God is doing in our lives, we need to be willing to take some risks. Jay Iris said, I don't care about my career. There's something more important. Jesus said, I don't care about my reputation. The enemy wants us to live on easy street, but what's the Lord's response? Be willing to do what God wants us to do. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing. We're going to come and worship. If you feel comfortable, I'm sure those that have masks can put masks on it. If that makes you more comfortable, but let's just come and let's just worship the Lord.